contracts, intellectual property, labor law, and much more. Make up the, the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20, if you could believe it, of End Scene and Entertainment Law Podcast. I'm Tony Oikasas. And I'm Evan Narr. Ah, oh, Tony. <laughs> I miss you so much. <laughs> I miss you too, man. We we are back after a one-week hiatus where we took trips to Jamaica and California, respectively. I went to California. Tony went to Jamaica. And uh, without getting into too many details, <laughs> we will say that we had a very intriguing uh, experience. Both of us did. Me with travel and him with the hotel experience generally. <laughs> That's a very safe characterization. <laughs> do, do you feel well rested? Like, did, were you able to enjoy at all to any capacity? Uh, I will say con- all things considered being home since my return from Jamaica has been itself more restful than the vacation. I have never been more happy to see rats before in my entire <laughs> life. Like, I'm telling you, I was like, I knew I'm home when I was on that subway at JFK Sufton Boulevard. Exactly. Ah, what a thrill. Uh, anyway, so we're back. Episode 20. We are recording remotely tonight uh, because I am going to see Mission Impossible for the second time. Again, uh, I am adding to Tony's box office uh, guess here. Which is already like so weak. <laughs> so th- thanks. It just a little extra dollar help there. And so. and Barbie's getting great reviews. So I'm sure it's just going to bolster me up a little bit more. I- I'm just going to start waving the white flag at this point. <laughs> You you are an admirable adversary. <laughs> um, so so let's get down to it. A lot to unpack, but we are just going to whittle it down to some really big topics we want to discuss. First of all, there was actually a verdict on the Lady Gaga uh, lawsuit that we discussed back in episode three regarding her dog walker. So we're going to share that information with you. The biggest hot hot news that we've been talking about every week is the latest on the WGA and SAG after strike. We are recording today, Wednesday, July 12th. Uh, So today is actually the last day before SAG does strike. When we recorded last, the date was June 30th, but in light of the uh, 4th of July holiday, they did extend. But today, from what we understand, is the last, last day. Uh, So, you know, very intriguing to see. By the time you listen to this, something may have come out. Uh, So we'll talk about the ramifications there. We'll also talk about an AI lawsuit, of course, uh, with Sarah Silverman. You'll probably know her from a lot of comedy specials. She was in School of Rock. I think she played Ned Schneebly's wife, um, (laughs) who's who's actually played by Mike White, the writer of The the White Lotus, seasons one and two. Um, She's she's an incredible uh, comedic actress. And I think, I think she has the Jewish descent as well. So she's representing us very nicely. And then lastly, we'll be talking about in light of me seeing Mission Impossible and it being on Tony's box office um, scorecard, I would say. We will talk about our favorite Tom Cruise film, not Mission Impossible. Uh, you know, whatever opinion you may have of Tom Cruise, you have to respect his body of work and all that he has done for the entertainment industry as a whole uh so we're gonna you know give them a little bit of the spotlight tonight uh but first our disclaimer tony yes. 
Yes, as always. And I didn't forget it. It's it's probably going to be stronger than ever. Oh. As always, Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything that we say in today's episode is purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape, or form. And anything that we say in today's episode is to not be construed as legal advice. Not bad for a week off. You, I didn't you, miss a beat there. I, I swear to God, it's I forgot how to do everything. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, I've never said this before. The diction that you have when you read our, uh, well, you don't read it. You actually cited that from memory. It sounds like you're reading Miranda rights. Like you have the right, you're like, we're your, we're your lawyers, but we're, we're attorneys, but we're not your attorneys. It's like you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and, use the, can and will be used against you in a court of law. Um, oh, man. You know what? Maybe that'll be NC merch in the future. It'll just be printed on there. In, in Same the, with the outro. Amazing. <laughs> So we are back. Let's get into it. Let's talk about Lady Gaga. So Lady Gaga, we spoke about her in episode three. She is a multi-talented Grammy award-winning singer. She's also an actress. She was in A Star is Born, uh, American Horror Story. She's going to be in the new Joker movie. I think it's Folle de toi or something. It's a French word. I don't Ooh. have it in front of me. Nice French there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we spoke about this in episode three. Lady Gaga's dog walker was shot and her two dogs were taken. And Lady Gaga offered a unilateral contract for more on that. Please check out episode three and offer of $500,000 in return for her dogs. No questions asked. So Jennifer McBride filed a lawsuit in February of 2023 after she returned Lady Gaga's dogs after they were stolen saying, hey, you know what? I returned the dogs. No questions asked. Give me the 500K. The caveat here is, is that Jennifer McBride was involved in the kidnapping. She was arrested in connection with the robbery and pleaded no contest to one count of receiving stolen property. So we actually had a lawsuit, or we actually had the case dismissed by a Los Angeles judge. Um, The name of the judge, I have it right here, Holly Fuji, F-U-J-I-E. She ruled that McBride, who was previously charged in connection with the theft, her successful pursuit, the successful pursuit of her current claims would allow her to benefit from her admitted wrongdoing. So Tony and I, we didn't really take a side here per se when we first discussed it, but we did kind of talk about does contract law trump uh, you know, the more the moral compass of what's going on here is someone who stole it was part of the death or the near death of your dog walker. Is it OK to reward them almost a million dollars for returning the dogs, even though you were part of the entire scam to take the dogs as it was? So the judge ruled no and dismissed the case. So Lady Gaga won there. Um, and I, I have to say me, Tony, specifically, I'm not that surprised. I mean, we can't set precedent where the wrongdoings of other people will allow you to just get off the hook and and really benefit from it a lot. Five hundred thousand is not a short amount of money. Um, so I think that I think the court got it right here. What do you think? And then I think you were also mentioning to me about contract formation. Generally, there was a lawsuit in Canada. What do you think? Yeah. So first off, um, I'm not surprised by this ruling either. When you listen to episode three, uh, you'll basically hear how Evan and I kind of thought this out. And, you know, what we argue is 
the ethical issues seem to have some legal weight in a story like this that they have they can't you can't help but notice it they cannot be ignored and i'm glad that the judge in this case judge fuji uh ruled in that manner because i think at the end of the day um to to have fraudulent intent in getting a reward of something of this magnitude Mm -hmm. especially like you said involving the near death of another human being to me it feels improper to give that person a, a near uh, basically half a million dollars as a way of saying thank you for returning the dog so uh kudos to judge fuji for ruling in that manner um i think that this sets very important precedent going forward with in terms of contract dealing um and you know rewards when it comes to people who are implicated or in, or are directly involved in a crime now that said as i was mentioning to evan um offline before we were recording there was a very interesting lawsuit that actually happened last week, um, a ruling rather, in Canada that happened while we were um, off of Ensign. It's a case that involves, of all things, um, a deal between a Saskatchewan farmer and a grain buyer. It was uh, a sale of 87 metric tons of flax. Don't ask me about metric weights or anything like that. I couldn't even tell you what that equals in terms of uh, you know, the metric system here in the U.S. That said... This was a a deal that was done between two parties and the buyer had signed the contract and texted a photo of it to the farmer, but the farmer responded back with a thumbs up emoji. So the farmer, Chris Actor, had contended that the thumbs up emoji simply confirmed that he had received the contract and that it was not confirmation that he had necessarily agreed to the terms of the deal that were set forth by the grain buyer. Um, so this ended up going to a whole lawsuit that ultimately the judge said was k- kind of leading to how we've come in terms of our, our communication, if you will, how we communicate with one another. Um, you know, it, it the court, uh, this is what this is coming straight from uh, the case. The court readily acknowledges that a thumbs up emoji is a non-traditional means to sign a document. But nevertheless, under these circumstances, this is a valid way to convey the two purposes of a signature, to identify to identify the signator um, uh, as Mr. Actor because he was texting from his cell phone number and to convey Actor's acceptance of the flax contract. This is coming from Justice Keene um, from the Court of King's Bench for Saskatchewan. So it just goes to show you that almost like a tale of two contract cases, hmm. you have one where a unilateral offer was set forth by Lady Gaga. No questions asked, $500,000 for the return of the dogs. Someone that benefited off of it from a criminal point of view is trying to gain you know, some reward out of it. Judge says no. Meanwhile, a thumbs up emoji case that lands all the way in Saskatchewan and Canada, that court views that that thumbs up creates enforceability of that contract. Just goes to show you that contract cases are never going to be uniform, but um, the mindset of a judge and certainly their ideology or their way of thinking is going to weigh heavily in terms of how a case rules one way or another. Um, so I, I think really fascinating parallel to kind of showcase here, obviously not of the same magnitude, but it just goes to show you that enforceability of a contract based on factors and facts themselves are going to eventually lead to maybe potential uh, di- uh, different outcomes as a result of it. So. Uh, you know, again, so glad that uh, this this uh, Lady Gaga lawsuit got thrown out. It, it was I think it would have been unconscionable for Jennifer McBride to get 
half a million dollars for committing a criminal offense. And the Canada case is detrimental to dads everywhere because every dad I know gives a thumbs up emoji <laughs> for everything. So is your, is your dad notorious for this? Because my dad is. He's a thumbs up. I'm sure Anthony Iliacosta Sr. is very thumbs up. He, he DMs me quite often videos of uh, Greek culture. Greece, which I, food, everything under the sun. You're practically I, Greek by now. <laughs> I love this guy. I love him. I love him. Uh, yeah. So very interesting. And, and talk about frame of mind and how technology is very beneficial in a lot of aspects, but could also be very scary, which is a great segue to our second topic, the WGA strike and the SAG-AFTRA strike. A lot of this is really happening because of AI, artificial intelligence, the writer's strike specifically, writers worrying that technology will replace them. Um, We have spoken about that the court has held, or Congress has held, I'm not entirely sure which one, that copyright protection will not be afforded to AI. The Copyright Office. The Copyright Office, excuse me, will not be afforded to um, AI-produced work because there's not that human element to it. Yep. So that's already a wrinkle in things. But the writer's strike has been going on for some time now. And as we mentioned earlier, the SAG-AFTRA strike, which is imminent at midnight tonight, July 12th, uh, would has a 97% authorization that if the AMPTP, which again, uh, I don't think we ever describe what the AP, AMPTP is, they represent the interests of Netflix, Paramount, uh, Apple, you know, all the big studios, really. If they're if they cannot come to an agreement, you will see a strike. So there's a lot that I I want to dive into here. Um, first of all, let's start with. Just let's start with SAG-AFTRA, I suppose. SAG-AFTRA is the company or the guild, rather, that represents a lot of the actors that you know and love, Jennifer Lawrence, Ewan McGregor, Meryl Streep, you you name it. Fran Dressler is the president or the head, rather, of SAG-AFTRA. She is coming under fire. Did you see this, Tony? I did hear about this actually after the fact, ironically, from she, our last episode. Yeah, she is coming under fire for being in Italy with Kim Kardashian at, uh, I forgot, do you know what designer it was? Um, uh, only one, Dolce & Gabbana, because that's Dolce. all they talk about. <laughs> of course. Uh, at a Dolce & Gabbana show when you know, you're really at the final hours here. So she's coming under a lot of fire. People are not thrilled with that happening. On top of that, which is bombshell news that I got when I when we were on vacation, I think I sent this to you, Tony. A-list actors and actresses: Meryl Streep, Rami Malek, Julia Louise Dreyfus, Ben Stiller, Neil Patrick Harris, Amy Schumer, Amy Poehler, you name it. They signed a letter to SAG-AFTRA, the company, the guild that represents them. And I'm quoting from a Rolling Stone article right here. The message didn't sit right with a lot of actors who are urging SAG not to settle for a deal that doesn't represent all of their demands. More than 300 actors signed a letter addressing the SAG after leadership and negotiating committee that's circulating and was allegedly sent to leadership expressing their concern with the idea that SAG after members may not be ready to make sacrifices that leadership is not. So when you have big names like Jennifer Lawrence and all of them saying, hey, hey, we're, we're going to hold out and we're going to really strike here if you don't represent our best interests, that, that makes waves. What do you make of that, Tony? I think that this is an unbelievable display of power by the 
union members themselves. Yeah. If anyone wants to see the power of a union, this is a great display of that. Yeah. Um, and listen, you can have people, representatives at the bargaining table advocating, but the union members themselves carry the greatest and the most power um, in these negotiations because their voices matter and their voices speak. And they speak by way of protest, by public assent and all that. You're seeing that first and foremost for months now for, with the uh, writer Guild, people picketing outside of major production offices, talking about talking smack about executives. And you may think that a picket line like that is nothing. It, it, you know what? Someone snapping a photo and saying, F you, David Zasloff, yeah. is going to carry a lot of weight because it, the virality of a statement like that now perpetuates the internet. So it goes everywhere. Um, I, I think that this is a, a, a gravely, gravely, uh, you know, immense display of, uh, you know, power and persuasion from the union members. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be very candid about this. I really do not think that we're going to meet, reach some type of agreement by midnight tonight. I just don't see that happening. There's a lot on the table here. Sure. DGA and AMPTP were able to come to terms, but just as the writer's guild said, then it's going to apply here. You know, an agreement between AMPTP and DGA does not equate to a deal between WGA and AMPTP. And likewise, the same thing for SAG-AFTRA, uh, with respect to AMPTP here. It's just, just not going to happen. And I did want to add that Tony and I postured that press junkets and other sort of events that the actors would be required to go to, they will be halted because of this strike. The actors, like I know the Oppenheimer premiere is happening here in New York, I believe July 17th or 18th. Mm-hmm. You best bet Robert Downey Jr., Matt Damon, Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, they are not coming here. And if you've noticed, I don't know if you have, they were already in New York filming pre-recorded stuff. They're in Paris now. They're getting it all in, in anticipation of this. You saw Barbie had a worldwide tour. Ryan Gosling looking good as hell. Margot Robbie looking good as hell. And what I admire the most, too, is her... Her Barbie outfits, you saw you saw this, right? Very, very, it's identical, almost to a T, in terms of, obviously, iconic outfits that Barbie has worn throughout her history. So that's happening. You saw Tom Cruise literally flew all over the East Coast yesterday to people seeing his premiere at, he flew to Atlanta, D.C., Canada. The guy's insane. And I bet you he piloted the the the, the plane himself, too. <laughs> he probably did. He probably did. He definitely did. He definitely did. You know what? Honestly, of anybody who's going to be unemployed in Hollywood, uh, you know, Tom Cruise could definitely have a second job now because, you know, he could just pilot planes while the, the, the strike happens. <laughs> Absolutely. And San Diego Comic-Con is happening next week, and you can bet that none of the studios will have any of the talent there to talk about new films. And, you know, for what it's worth, you know, and we'll we'll certainly touch on it a little bit uh, in a moment with WGA, but um, look where we are with WGA. It's two months in. No sign of, of any resolution yet. You know, if SAG reaches that same type of, of timeline where months pass and there's no resolution – not only is San Diego Comic-Con affected, but New York Comic-Con is also affected. First week of, uh, of uh, October as a result of that. So uh, Second week of October. Sorry, second <clears throat> week, my bad. Yeah. But I, I, we want to clarify that con appearances, Ewan McGregor and Chris Evans are slated to appear at New York Comic-Con. They will still appear, but it, New York Comic-Con is not really – they have a few like screenings and whatnot. I think Super Mario had one. Like Jack Black came out just for that. He was not part of the con 
fans could not get autographs from him, could not take photos with him. He was there specifically to promote the movie and show an advanced screening of it. Things like that are not going to happen. But I believe, I'm almost positive, that stars will still go to these conventions on their own accord for oh, yeah. meeting fans. Definitely. It's a huge stream of income. Um, anyway, so that's crazy. And also it's going to halt inter- uh, filming as well. Uh, Deadpool 2 or 3 rather is filming. You, you saw those, those. Oh my God. I, I, did you have a conniption when you, uh, I was on, I, I was, I was on the plane when I saw that and I almost like blew up. Like I was almost screamed like a little girl in the cabin. It was blew up internally, not, not internally. The plane. Right. Exactly. 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 I think I was stuck in San Francisco because JetBlue canceled my flight three times, but <laughs> I promise I wouldn't say it. But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it looks great. But the, the, these filming will, will, will probably halt. There's already some uh, specific things that's going on because of the writer's strike that there's no improvising by Ryan Reynolds, it was reported. So you could, uh, we, I believe that you will see a lot of delays in a lot of movies, pushback. Marvel, I, knew, I, I could read your mind. I know what you're going to say. Marvel already, uh, already announced a pushback of a ton of different things. And this is already on top of, you know, all these studios starting to, like, recover from the pandemic where they already had halted productions yeah because they you know of safety issues covid procedures social distancing issues what have you you know hollywood is now just getting back and rebounding and now you've got this a non-medical disaster that you know is leading to productions being halted this is the last thing that any production studio even wants because they need to recoup losses and when you have all these major uh, companies like apple or uh, Netflix or Disney Plus, Hulu, what have you, all these major entities on the streaming side of it, and certainly all these major production companies on the theater side of it, just pushing out tons of content. And it's just bombarding you with content and the quality isn't good because the writing isn't good. You know, that's that's not generating good sales in the box office. That's not giving people an incentive to go watch the show or the movie. The last thing you need for any of these studios or any of these production companies need is a delay because they need to keep the machine going. And yeah. There needs to be some level of momentum. And shows are being pulled left and right because of the expensive cost of having them on the platform. You, we were, I think we mentioned this last time, uh, Warner Media sold a, a ton of their different shows, original series to Netflix. Tony sent me a picture of Insecure on Netflix now. <laughs> So it's it's crazy. Like people are trying to innovate, and uh, we again, I don't think we agree with either side here. I I'm not in the room. I don't know what is being asked really, and I I think both sides have valid points. But it is crazy. Now let's segue over to the WGA, and we saw this this article. I don't know if this could just if this is clickbait, but it's on a lot of reputable you know news websites. It's being reported that the Hollywood studios um, are. Their end game is to really let writers go broke before resuming talks. And I here's a direct quote that was from an industry professional. Let me get to it one moment. The end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses, a studio executive told Deadline. Acknowledging the cold as ice approach, several other sources reiterated the statement. One insider called it cruel but necessary evil. That's intense. It's awful. I'm not going to lie. That's just cruel. That is cruel. And I think what's more alarming about a statement like that is that 
you're willing to allow people to suffer actual economic and physical harm for the sake of saving a buck or for the sake of getting it your way. This to me, I think speaks to the antithesis of what negotiation is all about. You know, Evan and I have sat in a law school classroom. I'm sure that if you're a listener out there who's who's currently in law school or are a practicing lawyer, you've heard it in one form or another. If you aspire to go to law school, you're definitely going to hear this. At the end of the day, you have your position and another party has a position. And we have the you know, bargaining table and the whole premise of it is for both sides to share what their assents are, what they hope to achieve when they leave that room. And yes, sometimes there there's going to be some some level of contention. But the hope, the the goal in a negotiation is to reach a deal that both parties are going to be happy with. And you do that by having the meeting of the minds. You have that by having a collaborative approach to thinking. You have that by just understanding the general nature of contracting and understanding the pros and cons, weighing your bottom line, all things, all factors are at play here. This is the antithesis of that. And this actually pains me because if this is AMPTP's approach with WGA, what's not to say that this is going to be their exact same approach with SAG? Obviously, SAG is of a different nature. Uh, you know, SAG has the A-list people, but you know what? Writers Guild has pretty A-list writers up yep. there as well. Aaron Sorkin. Um, Aaron Sorkin. You mentioned Mike White. I mean, these are people that are accomplished in their own right. And, and then some, I, I just, I, I cannot believe that this is, if, if this is rumored to be true, I cannot believe that this is the mindset that is going into the bargaining table because this is so detrimental and so terrible for the industry. Yeah. And you really, and what I've learned in my negotiation background is you really have to pick your battles. If there are certain things that you can concede on, even though it's not thrilling to you, you might just have to do it in the spirit of partnership. Exactly. Um, It, you know, it's, it's give and take, but it, this, this is very intense. Um, So, I don't know. Uh, again, I, I was on Twitter just reading what people were saying about this. Some people are, are saying or posturing that it is, you know, a way to the trades are really hyping this up for, you know, um, oh, my God, what is it called when people, oh, interaction, you know, sort of click, clicking and whatnot. And this might also be part of the AMPTP strategy to, you know, really get WGA back to the bargaining table. Either way, it's very scary for both sides. You know, obviously these uh, studios that we know and love that created so many great movies and TV shows that we've watched over the years, they could be financially faltering. You're seeing people get laid off, which is which is necessary because these companies are going to go under unless they do that. And then you also see our the actors and writers and that we know and love as well that are not, you know, going to be having work. You know, exactly. Anyway. Very scary. Uh, and I, I really think a lot of this has to do with AI, which leads us to our third and final topic about chat GPT and open AI. So, you know, Sarah Silverman, she is an actress uh, from School of Rock, from comedy shows. She's been in a ton of different things. I'm pretty sure she's been on SNL at some point. She I'm has as a guest host. Uh, we obviously know her from uh, her, she, she, I think, briefly was Jimmy Kimmel's girlfriend. Really? And then. Yeah, and then they had the uh, running joke when they separated that. Uh, actually, there's a great viral video from very early on. This is like when YouTube was just starting around like 2007, 2008. One of the first viral videos or one of the 
first of that early generation of YouTube, one of the first viral videos then was uh, the Jimmy Kimmel bit of um, effing Matt Damon. And it's Sarah Silverman singing alongside Matt Damon, who, if you don't know, Jimmy Kimmel's running joke, him and Matt Damon are like foes. So uh, it's really funny. But Sarah Silverman is a great comedian uh, in so many regards. Comedian. Oh, wow. That, that's the female version. Yeah. A little oh. fancy, a little fancy there. Yeah. I, I love that. <laughs> All right. So Tony candidly is a little bit more knowledgeable than me in this um, lawsuit. But from what I, what I understand, Sarah Silverman is joining an already existing lawsuit that was brought about by two authors. Um, and basically she wrote a book. Th- this is the broad strokes of it. She wrote a book and ChatGPT took some of the excerpts from her book to create a new product, and she is alleging infringement in that regard. Tony, Tony, you have more to add on this? Yes, a lot more to add to this, and a very concise synthesis of that of that lawsuit. So, for anybody that's keeping count, this is, I believe, the third or maybe the fourth or fifth lawsuit involving artificial intelligence. Uh, the ones that are coming to mind immediately are Stability AI and uh, Getty, um, where Getty is alleging that Stability AI is committing copyright infringement by, you know, um, you know, the software basically generating artificial intelligence images that are really sourced from Getty. And you know that because the AI generates these images that quite prominently feature the Getty watermark, and they're just manipulated and distorted in their weird, unique AI type of fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there have been a couple of other um, cases involving uh, AI from the uh, U.S. Copyright Office level, uh, which we've definitely talked about before. This one's very unique. This is a class action lawsuit that was filed by two authors who are basically acting as the class action plaintiffs. And in a nutshell, they're alleging direct copyright infringement, vicarious copyright infringement, violations under the DMCA, unjust enrichment, and then they're getting into some unfair competition under California law, so on and so forth. But I want to get to the copyright, uh, copyright infringement aspect of it. So um, before, before we get into the lawsuit, just very briefly, what makes ChatGPT unique and creative in its own way is that it's not the kind of AI platform that generates results from an active internet connection. However, what happens is ChatGPT, whose parent company is OpenAI, is trained on a variety of different information that is sourced originally from the internet or other resources, but is basically fed into a server. And it's those servers that basically create the output that you know any user goes into or provides. So for example, if I were to go on ChatGPT and I were to ask it to uh, you know, come up with 10 video ideas for the IP professor on copyright infringement, the, the chat GPT platform would generate 10 topics for me based on that. And it would generate those ideas based on pre-existing information that the open AI developers fed chat GPT on copyright infringement, on viral videos, on video content ideas, what have you. So the unique thing about this specific lawsuit is that Uh, these two authors are alleging uh, on behalf of the class action of plaintiffs that their books were provided as data, as information to ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. That was then the the catalyst that has led uh, ChatGPT to create book ideas or even come up with actual writings for a book that are 
in the style, in the prose, maybe even thematically relevant uh, to uh, what these original authors have created. Um, so obviously they're alleging that the information that it has would only be possible because OpenAI fed data from these books into OpenAI, to uh, ChatGPT, and thus the output is basically what these authors have written before. It could write, and and this has actually been a very hot topic in the book industry. There have been some authors in the book talk space that have commented on this, and and book talk being book TikTok. Um, they've commented about how there are authors that are finding ways to kind of hack the system by asking OpenAI ChatGPT to write books for them that they're then selling on Amazon uh, Kindle or on other you know ebook platforms. So there's the ethical issue there, but obviously you get into the copyright aspect of it here for sure. What makes this all unique is that Sarah Silverman joins this pre-existing class action lawsuit because she herself wrote a book that she also alleges was the heart of a massive, um, you know, was basically infringed on in a very aggressive fashion. Um, the lawsuit was filed in the, uh, I believe it was the, yes, it was filed in the Northern District of California. It was in San Francisco, yeah. It was in San Francisco, uh, basically making the exact same allegations that were made by these class action plaintiffs. And so, you know, we don't have an answer yet from OpenAI um, about this, but the question that's going to be very, very important here is, is the training of information like this, you know, the, prov the provision of books from authors that's being fed into a, a, a software platform, an, an artificial intelligence software platform at that, is that feeding of information enough to qualify as copyright infringement? And we've talked about copyright infringement, but the heart of it is that it exists when there's a valid copyright. And most importantly, one of those exclusive rights under Copyright Act is violated. Was there a public distribution right that was violated? Was there a public display right, a reproduction right? Were any of those rights that were listed under 17 USC 102, were any of those rights explicitly violated? And if so, what? And then in addition to that, the person claiming infringement must possibly plead that the infringer had access to the original copyrighted work and that the infringing work is substantially similar to the original work of authorship. Those are going to be all pivotal and important in a case like this. OpenAI is basically going to have to argue that it's not really copyright infringement because all they're doing is they're just training, they're providing this information to the software for it to then generate its own unique answers. The problem here that I think is going to, it's all going to boil down to is whether or not this, um, and this is really a shout out to all the law nerds that are kind of into this space. It's all going to boil down to whether or not OpenAI operates as a server for, in the context of the law. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because there is an existing law in the Ninth Circuit that was created, that basically created the server test, which basically argues that um, if a, if uh, there's an entity that not only displays data, but also stores that data, that itself could be uh, them acting as a server that then qualifies as creating copyright infringement uh, activity. If it's just displaying it, but not hosting or, or storing that material, that's not copyright infringement in the purposes of the law. The Southern District, however, said that's not good law. After 16 years, they finally said that's not good law. So you have Southern District saying one thing, the Ninth Circuit saying another thing. I think that this is actually going to boil down to whether or not the server test is actually going to resurrect itself again in a, in a new fashion in light of artificial intelligence. Obviously, a lot to be determined here, but truly a fascinating case, probably single-handedly the biggest AI copyright infringement lawsuit that we've seen yet 
And I think that this is one that we definitely should be paying attention to. This is the case to watch 2023 going into 2024. I would follow you. you heard it here first. I would follow you in a war, Tony. <laughs> no comments, no comments. Um, yeah, he did, Tony did a great job capturing all of that. So we'll keep an eye on that. And obviously, as we normally do, we'll update you if we find any other um, updates on that. So let's move it over to the man, the myth, the legend, Tom Cruise. But first, the Mission Impossible intro. Gets me jazzed up every time. Lalo Shriflin has one of the most iconic theme songs from any sort of franchise at all. And Mission Impossible is a, having seen all of them, it is definitely a franchise that escalates every single film to the umpteenth level. And it just gets, it's like wine. It, it, it gets better with age. And Tom has not lost a single beat. The guy is still unreal. 60 uh, years old, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Uh, 61, I believe, but I will confirm with our good friend Google right now. He was born in 1962, and I can't do math, but I think that's 61. 61, because... 61. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's my guy, TC. Um, anyway, I'm very excited to see it. I would highly recommend anyone that has not seen it to – well, it actually comes out today. So see it, th- see it this weekend before it's out of premium format because Barbenheimer. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So we wanted to share our favorite Tom Cruise movie um, that's not Mission Impossible. And Tony, you always put it to me first, so I'm going to throw it on you first. I think we'll have different ones, so I'll let you go. I I definitely think we're going to have different ones. Um, My pick is going to be Jerry Maguire. Um, Jerry Maguire was actually the reason why I wanted to go to law school, but more specifically was the reason that I wanted to become a sports lawyer originally when I went to law school. Um, I had aspirations of going to law school, but I really didn't know what avenue I necessarily wanted to go down. And I often tell students that sports law was an avenue that really became a real opportunity for me, not just because of what I did in undergrad. I, I worked at a sports PR firm and it really exposed me to the sports world, but I really was empowered by watching Jerry Maguire, which is loosely based on the life of Lee Steinberg, iconic sports agent who himself actually had a bit of a fall from grace with uh, addiction, but has really rebounded and has become an electric talent in the ta- in the sports agent world um, and represents the likes of uh, Patrick Mahomes, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is that him? Yes, that's him. He has yeah. blonde hair, right? Yes, yes. Yep, I've seen him before. So he, uh, so anyway, Lee Steinberg is a, a, a legend in the sports agent world, and Tom Cruise really captures the essence of a sports agent in, in such a great way. You know, and it's a balance of work and life and romance. Uh, the kid is cute; he's like a role model to him. Uh, it, it's just great. Uh, obviously, Cuba Gooding Jr. is in that movie as well. He won he Best Supporting Actor. Uh, he won an Oscar for it, I believe. Yes, he did. And uh, it, obviously, the iconic line, which we'll play for you, is... Show me the money. Money! <laughs> 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 
Take care of his money. Oh, no, no, you can do better than that, Jerry. I want you to say it what you would mean it, brother. Hey, I got Bob Sugar on the other line. I better hear you say it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show you the money. Not, not show you. Show me the money. Show me the money. Yeah. Louder. Show me the money. That's it, brother, but you got to yell that shit. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the money. Jerry, uh, Jerry, I can't hear you. <laughs> Show me the money. money. <laughs> and, then, and then Tom Cruise screaming in his office. Exactly, exactly. And um, also, I mean, you complete me. You had me at hello. All of exactly. these. What it's an such, iconic such film. Such great one-liners, if, truly. So if I had any, if anyone wants to kind of get a starter kit of a good uh, Tom Cruise movie to watch, I would definitely say jerry Maguire is a great one to watch for sure my only issue with jerry Maguire is that i, I feel like it has an unnecessarily long runtime. that's true D- didn't that it feel true. a little long to you it, and at the time it didn't because i guess i was so grasped and yeah. captured with so much of what was going on maybe looking back at it i do agree it was a little bit long i, I could have 15 minutes shaved off would have done probably it Probably. I, I definitely agree. But it is a great movie nonetheless. Great pick. Great pick. Um, this might be a little recency bias, but I'm telling you, Top Gun Maverick really captured. I watched so many movies like I've watched. <laughs> it, wait, that's an understatement. OK, everybody, that is an understatement. He watches I, I, all movies. <laughs> I try to watch 100 movies a year at least when I have time. I've seen 51 so far this year. Um, so that's a combination. Chop, chop. chop. <laughs> that's a combination of new and old. Top Gun Maverick made me feel things I haven't felt when I've when I've when I went to a cinema. It was so magical. It made you feel proud to be an American. Not that not that you know being any other ethnicity or nationality is wrong, but there was just so much patriotism, uh, you know, from seeing that movie and like. You know the 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 high fiving with Miles Teller, the the beach scene, the you know it was just so kick ass. I loved it so so much. Uh, Lady Gaga was attached to the soundtrack. Hans Zimmer. It was an incredible, incredible movie. Saw it in IMAX, of course, uh, <laughs> and and I bought it on 4K. It's it's a great Tom Cruise movie. I do have to say because Tom Cruise is one of my top three favorite actors. A very close second is Edge of Tomorrow. With Emily Blunt. Have you seen that before? I probably have seen it a while ago, but I definitely know which one you're talking about. It's one that they keep on repeating time, and they fight against these robots. Tom was great in that movie. Um, But I I have to say, Top Gun Maverick, even though it did come out recently, it just was so good. Like, I was even contemplating having the theme song play after I kissed Rachel at our (laughs) wedding. So I will kill you when that happens. I decided to be a witness to that. So I'll have I, my phone camera out there. ladies. I've decided to not do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just a phenomenal movie. But Tom has, has, has such a great body of work, even, even less gross. I mean, in top gun, he was in uh, Austin powers, gold member. He's, he sings, he was in rock of ages. He's very, he's very talented. His personal beliefs aside, whatever you believe about Scientology, you know, that doesn't take away from, how dedicated he is to his craft. So we wish you the best, Mr. Cruz. If you ever want to come on our podcast, you're more than welcome to. We have an open seat. (laughs) Yeah, we have an open seat for you always. And that is the end of episode 20 
of Encina Entertainment Law Podcast. I'm getting a little nasally right now, so I'm going to let Tony take it away for the end. <laughs> As always, uh, we want to give a special shout out to PNT Knitwear. We haven't been there in a while. No, we, we haven't. Hope to be, we have to be there. We hope to be there soon. You can always check out PNT Knitwear Podcast and Bookstore located at 180 Orchard Street in Lower East Side. We also want to give a shout out to Shake. You could check out Encina uh, on Shake S H A Y K. Use referral code NSCENE for exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content that doesn't make it to the podcast or for your opportunity to ask any additional entertainment law questions. We want to thank Hunter's Aaron for the epic theme song as always. And most importantly, we want to thank all of you for listening to this episode of NSCENE, an entertainment law podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on all social media platforms at Pod. And until next time, NSCENE. We're back, baby. (laughs) 